0: As we get to look at the book of Luke, I'm excited to be able to think about what the Lord has done and how we can think about uh, the confidence we should have in the Lord and His resurrection. I want to ask you a question. It may sound like a strange question, but I'd ask you a question. Do you trust me? You may say, well, maybe I trust you, or maybe I don't trust you. Some of you have known me for maybe a few seconds. This is the first time you've ever seen me in your life. There's others of you that have known me since probably my whole life and even before that. Some of you, as I grew up in this church, maybe even, you know, you've seen me and you're like, well, based on what we knew in junior high and high school, we don't trust you. And maybe some of you, as you've known me and didn't uh, have the wonderful or maybe the, not the privilege of knowing me then. Uh, you may say, well, I think I can trust you now. I don't know what you were like then, but, you know, I trust you now. And I'll tell you a story, and you can determine whether you would believe it or not. And it may sound true or may not. And it's just a story of has really nothing to do with what we are going to talk about today. But I wonder, would you believe it if I tell it to you? I would tell you this story a, few, a year ago or so. I was driving to my kid's school, which is on the other side of town in Alamo, and I was on the expressway. And I had one of my sons with me, Levi. He had to go into school a little bit later that day because he had a bloody nose, I believe, that morning, and couldn't get it stopped, and so we finally got it resolved, and I was going into school later with him, driving on the expressway. And in front of us, there was a Suburban that T-boned the she There was a lady driving, and she turned and swerved, and it basically hit the center median, and we were in the fast lane, driving fast, and I thought we were going to T-bone her and uh, going 70 on the expressway. And it hit the center median, bounced back, and she went all the way back across the expressway, driving onto incoming traffic, finally finally made it into the shoulder. Nobody was hurt, and everything was fine. I called 911 a little bit afterwards just to make sure because I'm not sure what had happened, if she had a stroke or whatever it was. But you could ask my son... He may be only been nine at the time, but he would tell you exactly the same details that I told you. He would probably even tell you the look on her face because we both saw it and we were that close to hitting her. Now, I tell you that story and you may or not may not believe it. It may be true or it may not be true. You may try and confirm it by saying, you know what, I'm going to go back in a year. I'm going to try and confirm this by calling the 911 call center and see if they got a call from my cell phone number. You can investigate that. You could ask me, you could ask my son, you could maybe try and ask some people on the highway, but it would be hard for you to prove whether or not that's true. You're basically taking me at my word, an eyewitness testimony. Believe it or not, it happened. Praise the Lord, we were safe that day. You may not believe eyewitness testimony sometimes. That's too good to be true. Well, that's an unbelievable story that couldn't have happened. And Luke, if you, know, if you look in your paper there, in the, the book of Luke, he starts off telling us the whole purpose of why he writes this book. And, and as I have privilege to preach in a few, the next few months, I'm going to go through the book of Luke. So I just want to give you a little introduction of what Luke is about. And it's very clear at the very beginning of the book of Luke. He says, this is to be written as a, va- a faithful testimony an eyewitness testimony so Luke 1 1 through 4 says this Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished and when you see that word accomplished if you put in brackets right around there fulfilled it actually would be a much better translation just the word fulfilled because that word is actually the same word that's going to be used later but this is what he wrote this book for so that we can see these things that have been accomplished or fulfilled among us. Dr. Luke writes there in verse two, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Dr. Luke tells us the goal in writing this book is to give an eyewitness testimony of the things that have been fulfilled so that we can have certainty of what's happened. And actually, when you're when you're studying a book, you should look at the very beginning and look at the very end, the tip and the tail of the book. And in the very end of the book, Jesus says something very similar to this. So look in that next passage in Luke 24, 44 through 49, as he finishes out the book, he says, To them, Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of the Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if you see that word fulfilled there, that's really the same word as accomplished very back in the very back in the beginning of the book. And he's saying, I'm writing this so that you know that these have been accomplished. They've been fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to the Scripture, to understand the Scripture, and said to them, "Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem." And he says, "You are witnesses of these things." Remember, he said, "Eyewitnesses" in the very beginning of the book. These are witnesses. These are people that have seen this. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Dr. Luke writes this book and says, I want to give you an eyewitness testimony of the things that have been accomplished, that have been fulfilled so you can have confidence and certainty about Jesus. And this should drive us to have confident belief in the risen Savior, in the risen Christ. And that confidence should drive us to live boldly for him. Yet, I'm certain there's people in this room and throughout the world that have heard of the things of Christ. They may even know the story of Jesus forwards and backwards. And they know these things, but because of possibly other things in their life, money, pride, fear of man, power, possessions, they don't believe the truth. Or they say they believe, but they don't live for the truth. The problem isn't that there's a lack of evidence about Jesus and his resurrection. That's not the problem. The problem is a lack of belief. The the problem is a sin of unbelief. And I want to take a different look at Luke. And I want to take a different look at the resurrection accounts. And we're going to look at all the people that rejected Jesus. All the people that rejected Jesus as he goes to the cross. And so let's look at these things. The first account of the resurrection or Jesus being rejected before and after the resurrection is Judas. So look there in Luke 22, 22:1-6. Judas rejects Jesus and it says, "Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. They feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of what was of the number of the 12." He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in in the absence of a crowd. And so Judas is there and he's, he's the person of opportunity. The religious rulers during that time had been seeking how to destroy Jesus because they were afraid of the people and Judas Iscariot is the guy that they find to be their collaborator. They look at Jesus and they, or they look at Judas and say, hey, Judas, would you betray Jesus for just a little bit of money? Thirty pieces of silver. In fact, Jesus even predicted this betrayal at that Last Supper. Judas knew it and Jesus, Jesus knew it. He knew what was going to happen. Judas, in some sense, knew what was going to happen. He had seen Jesus for years, seen this life that he lived, and yet he goes to betray him. Look in Luke twenty-two forty-seven through 51. It says, while he was still speaking, this is Jesus, there was, he was speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas goes and finishes off the betrayal. Judas knew where to find Jesus. He had followed Jesus. He knew exactly what Jesus was going to be doing. He knew where Jesus would probably be. And all these people come with Judas and Judas betrays him for just a little bit of money. But he's not the only one to betray Jesus or to reject him. There's actually another one of the apostles. Look there, Peter also rejects Jesus. And he rejects him really because of the fear of man. Look back a little bit there, Luke 22, 31 through 34. Peter here is talked to by Jesus, says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And notice, Satan tempted Jesus a long time ago, right, in the wilderness, couldn't win this battle, and he finally finds Judas. And actually, Satan uses Judas, and then Satan actually is here mentioned with Peter. And Satan's trying to fight this battle and win against Christ, but he'll lose. You still see this player in the game. He's trying to defeat Jesus. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you denied me three times. One of the closest disciples... One of the closest followers of Jesus, one of the best one of the inner circle of three, Peter here knows Jesus so well. And Peter, in his boldness, and possibly just using his voice very often to stand up and say what he believes, what's on his mind really quickly, he says, "I will not betray you." And Jesus knew he would betray him. In fact, Jesus even now predicts that Peter would turn back and repent of that. He says, "When you repent." When you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. What an encouragement. Even before this, Jesus is still encouraging His disciples, His apostles. But Peter seems intent that there's no way that he would deny Jesus. No way that he would fall. Then look in Luke 22, 54. They seized Him and led Him away, bringing Him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So there's Jesus going off being taken away, taken captive, and Peter standing back just a little ways, looking. And in verse 55, it says this, When they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Trying to probably blend in. And then a big burly man that had lots of armor and stuff like that all over him was ready to tear him apart, said something to him. Right? No, look in verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked him, looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him. For he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately... While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, one of the most outspoken apostles, finds himself in a unique situation. Sitting there among this crowd, trying to listen and just stay close enough to see what's going on with Jesus. And as the story says, the account says, a servant girl. Not anybody that he should be afraid of. Peter, he's been a fisherman. He's been strong probably his whole life. He's strong enough to probably say he could do whatever. He's not fearful of his life, is he? Maybe. Maybe he's fearful of dying. He may just be afraid of what other people may say. And this servant girl accuses him of being with Jesus. And he says, absolutely not. Three times he says that. He had said, Peter had said earlier, I'm ready to fight for you, Jesus. Here's a couple swords, let's go, right? Let's fight. I'm ready to die for you. But he wasn't ready to live for him. He wasn't ready to live for him. He wasn't the only one that rejected Christ. Christ finds himself very lonely at this time. He goes before, in Luke 23 verse 1 through 5, he's not the only one that, Peter's not the only one, Judas isn't the only one to reject him. Actually, many others reject him. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate, who's the ruler in that area, says, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. And Jesus here, He's brought to these, to, to Pilate. And people say, He says He's King of the Jews, and Pilate says, Yeah, yeah, okay, He says that. But you know what? I find Him totally innocent. And Pilate looks over and realizes that, since He's from Galilee, that Herod could actually go see him. And so he kind of sends him off to Herod and be like, hey, you go do something with, Herod, with him. And Herod actually sends him back and says, I find no guilt with him. This is two of the four times that we're going to see that it's said that there's no guilt with him. Pilate says it three times. I find no guilt with this man. Then what's the problem? Why would you, do, why would you kill a man where there's, who's not guilty? Why would you kill somebody who's innocent? If this would happen in our country, we'd have outrage. Today, we'd say, stand up for that person, even if we don't like them. He's innocent. Let him go. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people in verse 13 and said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look. Look. Nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. I mean incredibly Pilate almost says a very more clear testimony about Jesus than even his disciples. Pilate declares Jesus is innocent. Pilate as a wicked ruler and a man that has not followed Jesus he can see very clearly this man is innocent. He should not die. But because of what happens that day, Pilate and Herod actually became friends. And Dr. Luke, as he records this eyewitness account telling us what's happened, he's telling us about these two most powerful men in the country there, in the land. And they finally, they agree to do wrong, even though they know that this guy has only done right. Pilate and Herod agree that they should do something that's actually, in some sense, seems illegal, right? Killing an innocent man. Look in verse 18 of Luke 23. They all cried out together, Away with this man! Release to us Barabbas! A man who has been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And a third time he said, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt deserving of death. There, I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder whom they asked for. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pilate and Herod could have stopped this at any point and said, We're releasing him. We don't care what you say. We're letting him go. He's innocent. But they're not willing to. Because of the fear of man, because of the political pressure, because of their power, would they lose their position of authority if they would let this go? What would the people think? Even ungodly secular leaders saw that he was innocent, but the people's voices prevailed. They stood against him. They didn't need any more evidence. They didn't need anything else to see that they were going that that Jesus was innocent. But they wanted to keep popularity. They wanted to keep power, and so they suppressed the truth. This wasn't the only person, people that rejected Jesus. Luke 23:32 through 39. Two other rulers who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to be to that place that is called the Skull, there they were crucified. They crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, "Father, forgive them." For they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide His garments. We're in Luke 23, verse 35, and listen to what the people say. I mean, every single person that's been mentioned here, they've all known Jesus. Either His innocence, His truth, His testimony. And look at these people here. The people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at Him saying, He saved others. Another very true statement. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked coming up and offering him with sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an insurrection over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged hanged, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And if you look in Matthew 27, 44, it's not just one of the criminals that mocked him. Both criminals mock him. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. You know, you've probably been in a situation where there's a mob mentality, right? We, uh, we, we were at a, um, a basketball game for the Vipers just recently. That's the local uh, G League NBA team. And, and there were some calls that were made that the home crowd didn't like. And we were part of the home crowd. And what does the home crowd do? Well, we just start to boo, right? And the most energy you could feel on that whole stadium was in the fourth quarter when there was a bad call with about four minutes left and everybody started to boo like crazy. And actually, they the team started to play better and almost came back, but they still lost. But, you know, it's a, it's amazing what happens when a whole bunch of people get together and boo, It's amazing what happens when a whole bunch of people get together and have a mob mentality. We're going to do this whether we think it's right or not. He saved others. We saw it. We saw people healed. We saw the blind see. We saw the ones that could not walk healed so they could walk again. We saw him forgive sins. But we're not going to believe him. And everybody piles on. They knew he could save, but they're going to unify themselves in the rejection of Jesus. You want to get everybody mad? You want to get everybody on your side? Pick out one person, make them to be the bad guy, and everybody get together and yell at them. That was what that one poor referee felt on Thursday night. They made a bad call, or at least the crowd thought, and we boo against them. Here's one guy. In fact, the criminals that are hanging there, they're about to die. They're in the process of death. And they're like, let's revile him and mock him also. Come on, let's see something. And incredibly, they're not the only ones that didn't believe Jesus. Look in Luke 24, 1 through 11. We read this earlier. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in. They did not find his body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to to the ground, the men said to them, and and these men in other places are called angels, says, why do you seek the living among the dead? In verse 6, he's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning, I mean... in verse 8, what he said there what just happened two days earlier. These predictions happened two days earlier. And they're being told by these men, actually in other places, angels, told that he's risen and that he was going to be crucified. Like, remember this. Verse 9, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. I mean, these guys, apostles, had been with Jesus pretty much every day for the three years before this. They heard what he had said. They listened to his teaching. They had seen him heal. They had seen the miracles they heard him from his own voice predict, I would die and be crucified and I will rise again. And this is their response. It's a fairy tale. It's nonsense. It's an idle tale. I mean, just see how lonely it is for Jesus. People don't believe. They see all this. They hear all the evidence, all the eyewitness account that they need, everything they have to believe, and yet they don't. Even Jesus is—they are standing in front of people, and people don't believe. Luke 24 and 25 says this, and he said to them, and these are—he's with these, with these, people, these two on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus appears in a, as a stranger to them, and they're saying, "Hey, haven't you heard? They people said he rose, but we're not sure that he did." And Jesus says himself to them, and he says to them, "O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." He tells them, I mean, the prophets had said everything about this. Luke 24, 36-41, just a little later, as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them, among these disciples, a different group. He says to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And while they still disbelieved for joy, were marveling. And He said to them, have you anything here to eat? It's amazing. These disciples and apostles, even after they see the resurrected Christ, they can't believe it in their hearts. They had their doubts. And even as you see the title of the message, why are your hearts filled with doubt? As Jesus would ask. He says, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Haven't I, done, have I not done enough? Don't you see the resurrected Savior? I'd ask you today, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Why would you not believe? Some of you may say, I've believed all of my life. Wonderful. But I know there's people in here that have heard about Jesus and have said over and over, I know these things, I see this, but I just need a little more evidence. I need a little more proof. Maybe you're like Jesus, or Judas. Maybe because of the possessions of this world, because of something some small amount of money 30 pieces of silver you're not going to follow him maybe your income the possessions you'd say if i would give up and give those things up and follow jesus that'd be a problem the love of money may consume you or you may be like peter peter was afraid of what could possibly happen he was fearful of what other men may say or do to them and maybe because of what other people think you don't believe Maybe you're like Pilate and Herod. Maybe you're like them where they're standing there before these people and they're saying crucify Him. And like Pilate and Herod, you have a position of authority. You have a position of power. Maybe in your company, in your job, in your community, whatever it is, if I turn to Jesus, if I proclaim His name, if I trust Him, people will laugh at me. Maybe you're like the rulers and the criminals and soldiers and you're like, I don't really know what's going on. I I know he said he saves himself or he saved others, I mean. But maybe you would listen and see that and you'd say, you know what, this world says that Jesus isn't real. I read a Time Magazine article that said Jesus didn't really rise from the grave. I'm just going to go along with that. I'm just going to go along with what this world says because it sounds like, you know what, they give me a lot of proof. I mean, I don't really see any of it, but I'm just going to go with it that mob mentality let's just reject Jesus because that's what everybody else does or maybe you're like the apostles that you've sat here for years and heard the teachings of Jesus the apostles saw Jesus day after day for three years they walked with him and still couldn't believe you may have sat in these chairs been at this church for years and you've never believed you thought why should I trust him Maybe you're a young person in a family here, and you said, I've seen my family do this, I see my family believes, but I don't really believe. I would say, what else does he have to do? What else does he have to do? I would say nothing. The proof is there. We have this eyewitness testimony of Scripture. If you look in 1 Corinthians 15, we see how over 500 people saw Jesus was alive. What else do you want? Well, I would want Him to appear in front of me. Well, He did that in front of the disciples and often, and some of them still doubted. I would say probably what prevents people from believing is their pride. Just saying, I know better. And when you say that I know better, when you say I have studied the Scriptures and I don't believe, whenever somebody says that to me, and probably when they say that to you, I've studied all this, I've read the Bible five times and I don't believe... You know what? You know who they're setting up as the authority over all things themselves. And you may be saying, "I've studied all this, and I don't believe." And I would say, maybe you should look at the thief of the cross, the one criminal that finally recognized what was going on here. He accepted and believed in one of the unique, most unique ways possible. Look back in Luke 23:39 through 43. One of the criminals. Luke 29 or 23:39 one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying are you not the christ save yourself and us but the other rebuked him saying do you not fear god since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for what we are receiving the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong and he said jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This criminal, as it says in the other accounts, had already mocked Jesus. It says both these criminals reviled him. And possibly seeing Jesus there on the cross, taking all this abuse, all this mocking, all this scorn, the second criminal says, just a few things that are very clear that he understood the gospel he understood who god is he said do you not fear god he recognized that this is a man that must be god do you not fear god he says to this man and he says we're hanging here on this on this cross because we deserve it but this guy he doesn't deserve it he recognized that he didn't, Jesus did not deserve to die. And this criminal, with no hope of getting off that cross alive, this criminal looks and he believes in Jesus. He really confesses that he's a sinner. I, I know what I've done. I'm here rightly. I'm, I'm, I deserve to die and I'm dying. And he basically says to Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. If he says the kingdom, he says, remember when you come into the kingdom, he knows that Jesus is the Lord of something. He's the King of something. And this criminal gives such a beautiful cry out of the Gospel. I need you, Jesus, to remember me. And Jesus says, I will bring you to paradise. The new Eden. I will bring you to the new Eden, to that paradise with me. Alistair beg preached a message, and I love listening to his messages. Uh, He preached a message called The Power and the Message of the Cross. And he says, think about the thief of the cross. And he tells this story that's a beautiful account and somewhat humorous, but also convicting. And I'll just recount it to you. But he says, think about the thief of the cross. He says, I can't wait to find that fellow one day and ask, hey, how did that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. And you'd never been to a Bible study in your life. You'd never been baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership. And yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? And that's probably, and he says, this is what the angel probably thought. He said, the angel goes to this thief on the cross and says, hey, what are you doing here? And this thief would say, well, I don't know. The angel, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know well, excuse me, let me get my supervisor angel. And so he gets the supervisor angel and he goes over and he says, there's a few questions I have for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? And the thief would say, I've never heard of that in my life. What about the doctrine of Scriptures? Let's just go right there. Uh The thief staring blankly as Alistair Begg says. And eventually in frustration, the angel says, on what basis are you here? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross said i can come the man on the middle the thief the man on thief says the man on the middle cross said i can come and that's the only answer that's the only answer we can give when we start the testimony and say why do you have why can you know that you're a believer why can you know that you you can go to heaven it doesn't start with i did this i did these things It starts with, because He died for me and because He rose again. Because He said, I can come to His kingdom. That's the reason that we have to proclaim. Because Jesus died. He rose again. And Luke, Dr. Luke gives us this beautiful eyewitness account. He tells us throughout the book, and we'll get to see it as we go through this book later, that everything... In the Scriptures before, in the Law, and the Prophets, the Psalms have been fulfilled. He says, I'm telling you this so you can believe. And he says, I provide, I'm trying to provide this to show you that you can have salvation from your sins. And salvation proclaimed in Luke almost more than any other place in the New Testament. The whole book is written so that you would repent and believe and embrace Christ as your only hope. We must say, we must say, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm believing in Jesus and I'm following Him. And you may be here today and you may have said, there are things that are preventing me from following. There are things that are preventing me from believing. And it may have been the fear of man or money, possessions, power, your position of authority, whatever it is, it is not worth it. Let me tell you, believe in Jesus today. We have the proof of the resurrection. We have the eyewitness accounts. Why don't you believe? Believers, why don't we believe, why don't we live for Him? Luke 24, 46 and 47, Jesus says, All these things He suffered and died and He rose. Why? Why did all this happen? Well, so the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Have you believed, repented of your sins, and trusted Jesus? If you've not done that, you can do that today. You can be like that thief on the cross and say, Lord, please save me. Bring me to your kingdom. And let me encourage you believers, if you have believed, your job is right there in that verse, in verse 47, that the forgiveness, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. You would say, well, so what? Why didn't you give us something to do? Well, this is what we do. This is what we do as believers. We proclaim Jesus and the repentance of sins. There's nothing else on this earth that matters more than proclaiming Jesus and His name. And praise God, we have another day of breath to proclaim that. You may be with family today on Easter or whatever it is. Proclaim the name of Jesus. He is our risen Lord. We're gonna pray in just a moment, and I'm gonna have you stand as we pray, and if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, and if you would like to trust Christ as your Savior today, you can do that in your seat. And if you would like help to understand even trusting Christ, I would encourage you to come to the front as we stand and as we pray, and one of the men will help you, or one of the ladies will get you with somebody to help you see how to trust in Christ. Don't wait. Don't wait for a better time. Don't think, what will other people think? You know what people in this room will think? Praise God. So let's stand and let's pray.